And if you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. I want to speak this morning on finding the delight of the Lord and what that means to our spiritual life and our spiritual growth. Psalm chapter 1 tells us some very interesting things about this. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, beginning there, it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. As we examine scripture today, we will find many areas that emphasize the importance and the necessity of finding delight in the Lord. We see many truths beginning in chapter 1 of Psalms. and This chapter sets the theme, if you will, for the entire book of Psalms. In a commentary that I read, it says this, The first psalm serves as a gateway into the entire book of Psalms, stressing that those who would worship God genuinely must embrace his law, his covenant instruction, that those that would sing this psalm will own its values, namely they will want more and more to be people who love the law, which is the word of God, who believe it, who see themselves as the heirs and the stewards of its story of redemption and hope, and who carry to seek out its moral requirements. They can delight in the idea of being among the righteous, feeling nothing can compare with such blessedness. What does finding delight mean to you? What does the word delight mean? By dictionary definition, Delight means enjoyment, or to take pleasure, or to please, or to give joy to someone, or derive joy from something or someone. So when you delight yourself in something, you take pleasure in it, or you give pleasure to it. It is a give and take. You are giving and you're taking, but it's all pleasurable, and it's all to build each other up. So when you think of the things in life that delight you, what are they? What do you find delight in? Looking at chapter 1 of Psalms, we're given some guidelines in what our delight should be in and what it shouldn't be. Looking back at verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Well, now what does all that mean? And how does that have anything to do with the light? Another commentator that I read in that passage says this, Sin can all too easily entangle life and is a subtle and gradual process. It begins as walking, or in other words, going along with evil advice or counsel, as verse 1 says, which may then become a permanent feature of the believer's character where we stand in the path or it's taken a more fixed position and finally, if this is not dealt with, the believer sits with evil. And to sit in Hebrew means to dwell or abide. And so you see the progression here of a person that is walking with the counsel of the wicked, slowing down and now standing in the way of sinners, and then finally sitting down with the seat, in the seat of mockers where it becomes who he is. His identity then becomes a mocker or a person that ridicules. Another commentary says this, the psalmist says that a person is blessed if he does not do one kind of thing, but instead does another. The person who wants to be blessed must not walk the road of those who rebel against God or have no fear of him and constantly consider themselves above him and his law. No, instead, a person who wants to be blessed must live wisely in his relationship with God, delighting in him and meditating on the Bible, God's word, in other words, obeying it. The person who follows the way of the wicked will experience God's judgment, while God watches over and preserves the righteous man. So when I look at these verses, it makes me evaluate 
in my life, looking at verses 1 through 3, who are my closest friends? Who are they? And what do I gain from them? And what am I putting into them? It makes me think also of Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. And you may not be able to flip to it, but you might write it down if you want to. And Proverbs 27:17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So if I'm having friends, closest friends, that aren't godly, then what's happening in this relationship? If, an, if, if iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another, if I'm not making my closest friends Christian or godly people, then what's sharpening what? What's really happening in that relationship? If my closest friends aren't godly, then what's being fed into my spirit? And whose influence is being affected more? Are they influencing me? Or am I influencing them? Now what I'm not saying here and what this scripture is not saying is that we shouldn't have friends in the world because we are in the world. We, we must have friends in the world. We must have acquaintances in the world. We must walk in the world and, and, and rub shoulders with all kinds of people. So we're not saying that we just stick our head in the sand and all we do is just have church friends. I'm not saying that. Neither does the word saying that. Because if we don't have friends in the world, if we don't rub shoulders with people in the world, then how in the world can we spread the light of the gospel of Christ? We have to be in the world, but when we are in the world with people of various natures like this that are not godly people, we have to be sure that our light of Christ is the light that's shining, not theirs. Or we're not letting darkness overtake our light. We must be, con we must be consistent and we must be faithful to Christ, as we talked about in Sunday school class today, we must be faithful to our God, and we must let His light shine out. Unfortunately, we some people will find themselves selecting friends, and then they will justify their friendship with the world to say, well, I'm really trying to win them to Christ, and in all honesty, it's a cover-up that really you like evil. And, and you've got to be careful there that you don't find yourself being taken down that path because that's a very deceptive path and it's a very dangerous path to go on. There are many other instructions given in God's Word about how we should carefully select our friends. And I'm going to list a number of them here if you want to write them down or turn to them. Proverbs 12:26: One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the one of the wicked leads them astray but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 6 through 7. A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. Proverbs chapter 22, verses 24 through 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Pretty clear, isn't it, that God's word is telling us to watch who our friends are. Where do we get our counsel from? Where do we get our, our, our guidance from? Where do we get our wisdom from? And then finally, I think this is, the, this is the one that clinches it all. And this is the one that typically we only preach at weddings. But I think this goes down to the very basics of our Christianity. And it should be taught to our children when they're three, four, five years old and beyond and all through their life. And this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So this is giving to us in the form of questions, but the implied answers are there is no commonality. There is no common ground between a Christian and a non-believer when it becomes a time to yoke yourself with them. Yoking yourself with them can be in multiple ways. It can become in business partnerships. It can, become in, it can be in best friends. 
It can certainly become in husband and wife. Clearly, husband and wife. But we are instructed now to guard ourselves. Who do we make our friends with? Who becomes our closest ally? Who becomes our closest confidant? And why do we go to them? Are we going to them because they're sharpening us with truth? Or do we go to them because they're telling us some things we want to hear to justify our way of living? A person finds enjoyment and identity in, him, in, in the one he hangs around with. So verse 2 says, But his delight, the man's delight, is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So verse 2 is contrasting verse with verse 1 that says, Rather than finding your delight and identity in ungodly counsel and ungodly relationships, we should find our delight in the law of the Lord, and on his law we should meditate on a continual basis. And by understanding how you define your, your delight helps you in measuring your spiritual life. What do you find delight in? Knowing what motivates you identifies what your goals are and what it is you're seeking. So if you were to go to a counselor, a Christian counselor and, and, or any counselor, and they wanted to get to know you more, many times what they do is they give you a series of questions. And what they say, these are relatively easy questions to answer, but they don't want you to think about them. They want you to, to, to write down or to answer the first thing that pops into your mind. Don't think about it. Just give us the first thing that comes to mind. And when you say the first thing that pops into your mind, when you're asked a question, is a pretty good indicator of what you think about that topic. So if I was to ask you this morning, what do you find delight in? What's your answer? What do you think about when you're asked your thoughts about reading the Bible? Or reading a good Bible commentary? Or attending a good Bible study? Or attending a praise and prayer meeting? Or about prayer in general? When, when those topics come up, what is your initial attitude? What's your initial reaction to it? Is it one that excites you? Is it one that bores you? Is it one that challenges you? Or is it one that says, that's the last thing I want to do is read my Bible? That's the last thing I want to do is pray. Well, let me give you a good indicator of your spiritual life. If that's what popped into your mind, the first thing, then I would warn you and I would challenge you to challenge your spiritual life. What are you doing? Are you really seeking God or are you playing a Christian game? Now, understand this is truth in love. This is a very good question, I guess, that really can be asked that gives me a challenge in my personal life. So if you were to answer these questions honestly, they would really indicate to you where you are spiritually. Now let's go back to God's Word and let's talk about delighting ourselves in godly living. And what does it have to say on that? Because there is so much to talk about when it comes to delighting ourselves. Are you delighting yourself in the Lord? And if you're not, what do you have to do to become that man or that woman? Psalm chapter 37, verse 3 and 4 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. There's a lot to talk about in this particular passage because we are instructed again to delight ourselves in the Lord. This passage gives us a way that we can work ourselves into, into delighting ourselves in the Lord. Because if your initial answer was, I don't really care about the Bible, I don't care about prayer, you need to be concerned, and now you need to find out, okay, now how do I become delightful in the Lord? How do I make that part of my life? Well, this psalm will help us do that. First of all, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. So what does that mean? The progression here is this. We first start by trusting in the Lord and doing good. And that means taking baby steps. It means that we are learning in small areas to know that our faith and our trust in God is real and is true. We learn in the little things that God loves us. He cares for us. And he will keep us safe in the small areas of our life. And as I learn that on small baby steps, I begin to trust this God. 
I began to take him for what he says as true, and I, be, uh, and I began to understand and believe what he says for me, and I'm becoming more comfortable in the fact that he really does love me. He really does love me. The devil's right there all the time to say, no, he doesn't. But yes, he does. And it's unconditional love. And he wants you to know that. And he wants you to understand how much he loves you and how much he wants good for you. So we need to learn to trust in the Lord. And then we need to learn to do good. And we need to learn then as we do good, he blesses us more. And, and as we, it's, a, it's a really interesting relationship. It's a mystery, actually, of how God blesses as I then do good. And as I do good, God blesses. And as we learn to trust that way, we become comfortable. And then we move on to dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. See, we dwell in areas that we feel safe in. If we're not comfortable, we won't stay in that area. We will find a way to move on. If we're not comfortable someplace, we won't stay there. We will find an area that we are comfortable in, and we will go to that area. So as we grow up in trusting the Lord and doing good, and we see God beginning to meet our needs, and that we understand that, that He is loving us and He is taking care of us, that we will eventually become more comfortable in this way of life. And that we will be able to dwell there and have sustenance by living safely in good pastures. Godly living is not just a profession. Godly living is a confession and it's a constant lifestyle. It's not something I'm just going to try out and see if it works for me. You just don't try this thing out. What it is is that you say, Lord, I'm going to commit myself to you and I'm going to live for you and I am going to do good and I am going to do the things you ask me to do and I am going to commit to it and I'm going to live that way and by God's grace, he gives me the ability to do that. Not my own ability and not my own understanding. So now that I've done that and I've committed my way to him and I'm finding myself being met and my needs being met by him, now... I am living and I am enjoying safe pastures. Pastures are for eating and living in. A grazing animal will seek a good pasture where there is good, good grass to eat, a good water supply, shade trees when the sun's at its hottest, and basically safe, comfortable areas to lie down in and be safe from predators. So as we are, as we've made the progression from trusting in the Lord and doing good, and we're now dwelling in the land, and we are now in, in safely in God's hand. Safely are we now in God's uh, purpose for our life. Safely now are we in his provision. Then we can move on to verse 4, and it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We can't put verse 4 in place until we have verse 3 firmly entrenched in our lives. We have to be trusting and doing good and dwelling in the land and enjoying safe pasture. And then the delight of the Lord is easy for us because then we, we, we delight in Him and we learn to pray appropriately that are, that's according to His delightful purpose in our life. So before we can expect God to give us the desires of our heart, we must first come through that stage of delighting ourselves in the Lord. And we must derive our pleasure from the Lord. And that's not delighting in ourselves. It's delighting in God's Word. And it's having and it's understanding and learning and moving to the place where we can delight in spending time meditating in God's Word and His goodness to us. I've heard multiple people interpret this passage in different ways. The way I like to view this passage is that as we practice and firmly entrench verse 3 in our life and we understand God's intention for us is all good. God would never put something in my path that was evil for me. That would never put something in my path that would hurt me. And when I understand that, and then I can begin to delight in the Lord. And now when I'm delighting in the Lord, what that means is my heart's desires are more readily lining up with his ongoing will for my life. And now when I pray, I'm praying with my desires lining up with the will of God. And now when, when I pray the will of God, God answers his will. God hears and he answers that. First John chapter 5 
verses 14 through 15 says, again, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. But you must go back and look at those four words, according to his will. And this is, this is what's so cool about God. This is what's so amazing about this huge God that we serve, is that God knows me. He doesn't just know about me, but he really knows me, and he knows what's best for me. So when I pray according to God's will, what I'm really saying is, God, I know that you know me, and I know that you know what's best for me. So when I pray according to your will, what I'm really doing is that I'm trusting you to answer my prayer in the way that is best for me now and forever. It's not praying God's will because I don't know what to pray for, so I'm just going to give up and say, all right, God, whatever you want. That's not, that's not, what I, that's not really how you pray God's will. What you do when you pray God's will is that you're delighting yourself in the Lord and you're finding God's good pasture, his safe place for you to dwell. And now you say, Lord, I'm delighting myself in you. My heart is lining up with what you want for my life. So now I pray that you to give me the desires of my heart because of my desires are lining up with your will. And now you can expect their prayer to be answered every time because that's what God does. He answers prayers according to his will for me. And I have learned to trust him. I have learned to know that he is bigger than I am. And I know that he knows me and he only wants to give to me what edifies and what makes me better in this world and the next. Back to Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, what does that mean? That's an interesting one, isn't it? Because when we're told to meditate or do something day and night, that pretty much is all-encompassing. So is God asking me to meditate on his law day and night by meaning that that's all I do, that's all I think about, is I just find a big comfortable chair and I sit down and I just think about God all day and night? And I don't do anything else? Is that what it means to meditate on God day and night? Or does it mean something a little bit more practical? Well, I believe God's word is always practical. It may not be easy, but it's always practical. We read in James a very practical meaning of what it means to meditate in God's word. So if you wanted to turn your Bible to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word. See, because you can listen to the word and still deceive yourself if you don't do what the word says. So listen to the word and don't deceive yourself. Do what it says. For verse 23 says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this or basically delights himself in the law, as, as in Psalms tells us to do, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So when you meditate on God's word day and night, it means that you are aggressively studying it. You are aggressively tearing it apart. You are aggressively trying to understand it. And then you are applying it to your life. Nothing happens in our growth process until we apply what we've learned. You can be the most book smart person in the world, but if you don't have the sense to apply it, nothing happens. And what the Word is saying, what James is saying here is, it is important that you must dig into the Word. But when you dig into it, you must apply it. You must put action with that faith. You must put action with those words. You must put action with that information. And as you do that, 
you will grow and you will learn and you will uh, have fruit and you will have benefit in your life and you will be blessed. Meditation on God's word is the process of when and where you become what it says. I love that. It's when you become what the word says. When you can actually chew on the word so much and you can ingrain it so much and you can really understand it and you become what the word says, then you're like Christ because Jesus is the word. Jesus is the living word. And when I can take the little pieces, I can't take it all, I can't handle it at all, but I take the daily nuggets that I study, my daily devotions, my daily meditating on the Lord, on the word, and I become that little piece of the word for me that day. I become like Christ. Wow, that is delighting myself in the Lord. That is delighting myself in understanding what it is, now how I can live in that and how it can change me how then my life becomes radiant and other people see the change in me and all of a sudden I become, I become a person that is honoring God and I'm showing people what it means to live like Jesus. So meditating in God's Word is the process. As you read, you study, you memorize a person, portion of Scripture, meditate on it, you think about it, you chew on it. You think about what the writer was going through as he originally wrote it. What was motivating his writing how then can it be applied to your life and how can it change you? And it's a process of spending time and getting the word in your life so that it has the opportunity to make the changes that it's intended to make. See, God's transforming power is only as effective as we are willing to apply and let God do the work that needs to be done. If I read and forget or read and refuse to apply, then nothing's being taught then there's no work being done. There's no fruit in the process. Jesus, we talked about this last week, he gave a very direct meaning and he gave a very direct word to his disciples and his followers. And I want to read it again this week because it's, it's truth. And it's what, exactly what I'm talking about right now. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 53 through 57. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. For whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my, food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. That is meditating on God's word. And that is the highest form of, of, of meditating on his law day and night. And that's how we begin to delight ourselves in the Lord. As we work and we meditate and we apply it into our life. We also spoke last week about the fruit of spiritual growth and, and how um, we have inputs and outputs. Now up to this point in time in Psalms 1, we've been talking about the inputs in our lives. The inputs of dwelling and meditating in, but inputs are nothing if there aren't outputs. It doesn't mean any it doesn't mean anything to our lives if I have an input but no output. So now what are the outputs? Let's go on. Chapter three or chapter one, verse three of Psalms one is beginning to refer to the outputs or the fruit of everything that's been fed into our life so far. So as we go back and look at this verse, we see those who delight in the law. And as they meditated on it, on it day and night, their output will be fruitful. Verse 3 says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now, well, the significance of the stream of water here is really important because the stream provides the needed water and nutrients even in the dry times of life. If you're, if you're by a stream that's flowing, there's going to be nutrients by the stream. You may be in a desert area out here, but as long as you're planted by the stream, you have nutrients. There are going to come times in your life that you're going to be dry. There are going to be testings times in your life that you just are going to be seeming far away from God. 
hard times are going to come, and you're going to appear to be dry in your life, but by, by having your life grounded, though, in God's Word, you're grounded, you're meditating in God's Word, you are, you are meditating on it day and night, and you are de- delighting yourself in God's Word, you are planting yourself like the tree planted by streams of living water so that you will always have sustenance even in the dry times. That you will always produce spiritual fruit even in the times of dryness and of difficulty. And what's so interesting about fruit is that it's not consumed by the tree that produced it. A, a fruit tree doesn't eat its own fruit. An apple tree doesn't eat the apples. So what's the point of the tree giving apples? The fruit tree gives fruit to nourish those around the tree. The fruit is, is picked by someone or picked off the ground by something and eaten, and it's nourished by the fruit of that tree. It doesn't do it for its own benefit. It doesn't create fruit for its own benefit. In a similar fashion, true spiritual fruit in the life of a committed Christian is for the spiritual nourishment of those around them. Genuine fruit-bearing Christians are a joy to be around. They feed others as others come into contact with them because they're, they're producing fruit no matter what's happening in their life. As long as they're like the tree planted by streams of living water, they're producing fruit. And those around them are being nourished by it and are being fed by it and they're being encouraged by it. Not only will it produce fruit, but as I stay firmly planted there, my leaves won't even wither. I mean, it's, it's an it's a amazing promise that God says that you will produce fruit and your leaves won't wither and everything that you do prospers. Now, that sounds like something too good to be true. And typically, when I have been giving of something that is too good to be true, I don't believe it. But let me tell you something right now. God's Word never tells us things that are too good to be true. Because God's worth, Word is truth. This is something we can hang on. This is something that we can claim on, that God, that we will prosper in everything we do as we are dwelling in God's righteousness and as we are delighting in the word and as we are like that tree planted by streams of water. So does that mean that I can expect to be rich? Does that mean that I can expect to be prosperous in my physical life? As Psalms 1 is telling me that I can be prosperous in everything I do? Well, I'm not going to answer that question directly because yes, it may mean that for you. Or, no, it may not mean that for you. But what I can absolutely promise you, that as you base your life on God's Word, that you will be spiritually rich, and you will spiritually prosper in everything that you do, now and forever. And what would you rather have? Would you rather have a season of of financial blessing, or would you rather have an eternity of spiritual blessing? Where do you really want to put your major focus? So I look at verse in this scripture and I look at it verse 4 and 5 and I'm very encouraged by it because I say alright Lord as I learn to meditate on you as I learn to delight myself in you you will make me prosperous in everything I do at least spiritually and I'm okay with that I'm okay with that if I have a struggle financially if I have a struggle physically that's okay Because God's word is promising that I will have spiritual prosperity because if I keep my life in the Lord and as I keep delighting myself in the Lord, I will will be prosperous in all times, in all things forever and ever and ever. So the true meaning of living a fulfilled life will be attainable and maintainable. Boy, those are two words that have to go together. It has to be attainable. And it has to be maintainable as I continue in delighting myself in the presence of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it will result in spiritual fruit blossoming in my life for the nourishment of all those that I come into contact with. And thus, then, I am able to do my part in fulfilling the Great Commission. See, God winds everything together for my benefit, but to His glory. 
It always has to go to reaching somebody else for Christ. We talked a little bit about it in the Sunday school today. We are not lakes of blessing. We are rivers of blessing. The blessing flows through my life. If I dam it up, the blessing stops. But I am to let the blessing flow through me, and as it flows through me, it flows into other people, then I'm, un, I'm, I'm unlimited in how much I can be blessed with. Because if I'm a reservoir, if I'm a lake, I have boundaries. And I can only be filled so much until my boundaries are filled, and then the blessing stops. But if I'm a river of blessing, then it is infinite how much comes in and how much goes out because I'm a channel of God's blessing. That is fruit-bearing. That is nourishing others around me. That is fulfilling the Great Commission. And that is where I will be rewarded forever and ever and ever because of my faithfulness and because of my stewardship and because of my willingness to be a river of blessing, not a stagnant pond. But we have to read on in Psalms and finish it and say, what does, what's the happening in verse 4 of the wicked? Verse 4 through 6 says, Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? We're either living one way or the other. There really is no middle ground here. We're either living life delighting ourselves in the Lord and in His mighty power, or we're not. I can't read that passage of Scripture and find anywhere where there's middle ground. I can't see it anywhere where it says, well, if you're not so bad, you're okay. No, we're either, we're either the wicked or we're the righteous. And God is giving us the choice this morning as to what kind of person you want to be. It's your choice this morning, and that's what's always awesome about God's Word. It's always our choice. And because it's our choice, we have the benefit then of walking in it and getting the blessing of it because if God forces something on me, then I lose the benefit of the blessing. But when I choose out of my own free will to put myself down and pick up Christ, then Christ is willing then to give me the blessing that comes with my choice. So as we conclude this morning, Jackie, if you would come, what's so important for us to realize this morning is is that as the fruit tree is planted in good soil and a good source of nutrition and water, the tree doesn't worry about the fruit that it produces. It just produces. It's not up to the tree to be responsible to produce if the input is there. You understand what that's saying? As long as you're inputting into your life, it's not your responsibility to produce the fruit. It will just be produced by God's grace. And what's so important about that is that is true, authentic living. If I think I can fool people because I know what God's, I know what the fruit of the Spirit is, therefore I can put that in my own life by myself, I might do it for a little while. But I can't live it out that way. I can't, I can't really be authentic if that's really not the fruit that's in my life eventually the real me is going to come out. And, then, and sometimes we, we struggle with letting God produce the fruit in our life. Our focus not, needs not be on the fruit. Our focus needs to be on the inputs. And then let God create the fruit. Does that make sense? Can you do that in your life? Can you focus on reading God's Word? Your job is to get it in. His job is to get it out. He can't put it in unless you put it in. He will not force feed you. It is your choice to dwell in safe pastures. It is your choice to delight yourself in the Lord. And as you do that, He then takes the responsibility to bring the fruit to bear. And then it will be true fruit. And then it will be fruit of true nourishment. And it will be honoring to God. And it will have eternal blessings beyond that.
Delighting ourselves in the Lord is an amazing process. It's an amazing thing when I can really get myself to the point where I am learning to delight myself and understanding that now I am putting myself in a position where the pressure's off me to produce fruit. The pressure's off me because now I'm, I've done, Lord, what you've asked me to do. I'm delighting myself. I am learning to meditate on you day and night. I'm learning to apply my, your word in my life day and night. And now that I focus on doing that, I focus on filling my life with God's goodness. I focus on learning about God. I focus on, I'm as hungry as I can be to be in his presence. I'm hungry to be where God wants me to be. I'm hungry to eat as much as I can of godly desires, godly influences. I'm walking, I'm not walking in the counsel of the wicked. I'm not putting myself in situations where I'm, I'm getting unspiritual food, but I'm putting myself in situations where I am learning from other people, the other godly people, and I'm sharpening them as they're sharpening me. And when I can do that and live that way and grasp that concept, then life becomes easy for me because my fruit becomes easy because now I'm just authentic. I'm who I am and I'm feeding people around me and I'm giving spiritual nourishment to others as God is feeding into me. The hard part comes when I think I have to do it on my own and I'm really not feeding myself. I'm really not in the Word. I'm really not praying. I'm really not coming to Bible studies, but yet I have to think that I have to look like I am. That's where it gets hard. That's where you can't do it. That's where people fail. That's why people stop coming to church. Because they take it on themselves to be the bearer of the fruit rather than focusing on the creator of the fruit. And so this morning, what my encouragement to you is, as you learn to delight yourself, learn to soak in God's goodness. Learn to read the word and ingest it and let it become who you are. And as you do that, the fruit will come. Amen. Father, I pray now that you would just give us that delight of your word. Lord, I pray that you would teach us how we can do this better in our life. Lord, I pray that you would just give us the desire... to learn more about you, that you would give us that hunger, God, that we just cannot be satisfied unless you're feeding us spiritually. Help us not to fill our lives with so many distractions and so much junk food, if you will, of unspiritual living, unspiritual friends, unspiritual provisions. Help us to focus on you Guard ourselves. Guard our hearts. Lord, that we would honor you with our hunger and that you would then be able to fill us with spiritual fruit that would overflow and that others around us would be nourished and this community would be nourished through godly influence in our life. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, get ready to close, I'd like to have just Jackie, let's just lead us in that song and, and just take the next few minutes of just learning and allowing and just basking. We've been doing it all service long and it was such a sweet presence in the service this morning about how we were delighting ourselves in the Lord. And just be free today, the last few minutes here before we go home. Feel free to delight yourself in what it means to be in the presence of of God Almighty and let him feed into our life what he wants to feed into us. Amen. Let's sing that song, Jackie. Let's just worship him. Stand with me, if you will. And let's just worship him for a few minutes. In the
You know, sometimes you have to practice this. And I encourage you this week to find times of meditation, to find times of your own personal prayer life, find a prayer tape, find something, find some good spiritual music, get yourself by yourself in your car, in your home, in your basement, wherever it takes, and practice being in the presence of God. You would practice for anything else. If you want to be a good basketball player, you practice. If you want to be a good golfer, you practice. If you want to be a good archman, you practice. Why wouldn't you not practice being in the presence of God? So if you really want this, if you really want this hunger to develop, if you're really going after this, if you're really seeking after this, you must practice this. And the more you practice, the easier it gets. The more you practice it, the more more comfortable it becomes. Let's sing this song one more time and let's practice it. Let's, let's put some effort into this, folks. Let's put some effort into this. You only get out what you get in. Put into something and practice being in the presence of God this morning. Let's sing the chorus one another time, Jackie. Just practice it as we get ready to go home this morning. I praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thanks, me.